celebrate with them. Take your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 1. Uh, Mark chapter 1, uh, we began a series uh, called Follow, Learning to Follow Jesus uh, over the last couple of Sundays. And last Sunday, we were looking how, about how uh, Jesus uh, uses ordinary people. And last Sunday, we looked at four fishermen, uh, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, and how uh, here they are uh, just doing what they do best. They were uh, mending their nets. They were preparing to go out and launch out into the deep water and, and go fishing. And Jesus comes alongside of them, and as he so often did in his earthly ministry, and he says, he just challenged them. He said, hey, I want you to lay down your nets. I want you to follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And here are four men that would join eight other men over the coming weeks and months as they begin to lay down their plans, their thoughts for their life, and follow God's plan, and, and realize that he had a much grander picture of, uh, of the universe. And sometimes, I don't know if you ever stop and, and just take yourself out of the immediate situation you're in, and, and think in a big picture that God sees overall. He's sovereign. He's holy. And he sees this moment in time. Uh, and he sees this very moment and how we fit into his story, how we fit into the picture of what God is trying to accomplish in 2021. The church is, uh, is very much alive this morning, and it's very much uh, what God has called us to be, a, a light in a dark world. And if you've ever, if you turn on the news and, and look at any of the things that are happening around our world, it's not, it doesn't take rocket science to figure out we're living in some dark days but folks, this is the time that we ought to be shining brightly for Jesus. We ought to be a, a light and, and pointing people towards the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so uh, Christ chose four men to be uh, fishers of men uh, last week. And, and he didn't choose a Bible trivia contest. It wasn't like a Bible Jeopardy game where he was trying to test them on their Old Testament knowledge to see if they had enough uh, uh, ability to, to step into a role of being his disciple. No, he chose ordinary people. And, and the, the uh, encouragement for us this morning is to realize that if God could use fishermen, if God could use uh, carpenters, if God could use tax collectors, if God could use ordinary people just that have no uh, great set of skills, but God could use them for his glory, what could he do with you? What could he do with me this morning if we would surrender? If we look at, in Mark chapter 1, we're going to continue in that, picking up in verse 21 in just a moment. Christ ministered in various settings. Wherever he would go, people would, crowds would gather and people would begin to surround him. Often he would sometimes have to get into the boat and launch out into the sea to get around away from all of the crowds that were you know, flogging to hear him speak and see him perform miracles. And, but he would gather at religious gatherings. He would gather in relational gatherings and and he would use those as opportunities for ministry. So this morning we're looking at ministry can happen anywhere. Sometimes we get the mindset that ministry only happens at church. The pastor has to be present in order for ministry to happen. We have to have all the lights and the, the sound and the instruments and the, the singers. And it, we get something in our mind that it's got to happen in a certain box. 
But folks, I think we've learned in the last 18 months, ministry can really happen anywhere. In fact, uh, I was preaching to an empty room. It was just me and the sound guy uh, for weeks last year and, and realized that ministry can happen in a whole bunch of different contexts and settings. And it kind of uh, upsets the apple cart in a way, but it allows you to understand how Christ can work in any setting. If we'll allow him to, the word of God says where two or three are gathered in my name, there I'm in the midst. And the reality this morning is he's commanded the church to go and make disciples. So hopefully it helps us see outside of our normal way of thinking this morning that it doesn't happen. To, discipleship doesn't just happen at church. It doesn't just happen on church grounds. But as we're going through our life, as we're going towards to our workplace of work tomorrow or to our school or to our neighborhood, our city, our community, God has called us to make disciples and he wants us to minister in his name. So it's God is not bound by walls or geography today. And I'm thankful that as I have had the opportunity over the last several years to travel and preach in other countries and contexts to see that the, the gospel is so much bigger than what we think. And he transcends uh, color and, and, and language barriers and, and all of the, the inadequacies, inadequacies that we have as human beings. God is much bigger than that. And I've watched him uh, transform lives. And I remember uh, one of the first times preaching in Nicaragua and, and Dr. Dayton was one of our missionaries that we were working with. And I get done preaching, and he said, Pastor Davies said, I don't know if you noticed, but four people got saved during the invitation uh, after you finished preaching. And I, I'll be honest, I didn't under a single, understand a single thing that was being interpreted in Spanish, so I had no clue that four people had gotten saved. But it was like, it was like wow, in spite of my uh, southern uh, uh, redneck roots in North Carolina, God could use me in a different context to help share the good news of the gospel. So I invite you to tune in in Mark chapter 1, beginning of verse 21. It says, they went into Capernaum. This is Jesus and now his four disciples that are following immediately on the Sabbath. He entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had, what's that word, church? Authority. And not as the scribes. Immediately they were in the synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all of the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. Immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. She began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. The whole city was gathered together at the door. Listen to this. He healed many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons. He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. What we're seeing and what we're experiencing here in this passage this morning is a supernatural move of God. And folks, 
Uh, buckle your seatbelt because it's about to get exciting as we see how Jesus Christ transformed every person he met. As he, as if they would put their faith and trust in him, he would radically transform their hearts and lives. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts this morning. May we be in tune with what you're wanting to show us. God, help us to understand that ministry can happen anywhere in any context. If, if we will simply get out of the way and allow your Holy Spirit to work in our midst, God, you've got a plan and a purpose. And you'll use us uh, for your glory, for your renown. And God, I pray that we would recognize this morning that it's so much bigger than any one of us. It's bigger than any building, bigger than any church. And Lord, to realize today that uh, you're wanting us to, uh, to recognize that as we go throughout our week, ministry can happen in, in the workplace. It can happen in, the, in our schools. It can happen on a sports team. It can happen one-on-one with people we encounter around the road of life. God, would you move in our hearts, open our eyes to see people that are in need uh, of a touch from God and to hear from the Savior this morning. Would you speak through us as your servants and accomplish your plan for the ages, we pray in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, amen. Ministry can happen anywhere. We see it happens first in religious gatherings. And I love the boldness of Jesus. He did not care if people liked him or not. In fact, sometimes we have to get over ourselves enough to recognize that this world is not about us. We've got to realize Christ put us here with a purpose, with a message. He has given us the power to become witnesses in our city and in our world that he's placed us in. He didn't care if people liked him. He went right to where the people were. And in, in the city of Capernaum, uh, it was the Sabbath day. So where did Jesus go? He goes to the synagogue. Uh, he goes exactly where the people are. And, and he's using it as an opportunity, as a platform to minister and share the good news of, of Christ. And I had the privilege of going traveling to Capernaum a couple of years ago on a trip to Israel. And it's on the upper northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's about two miles from where the, the Jordan River flows in. And Jesus was here with four disciples in tow. And he's about to do something supernatural. They're about to see the power and authority of God. And folks, if there was any doubt in their mind of who Jesus really was, they were about to see in a front row seat perspective. And when I said next week, sit down front. Why? Because you want to be close to the action. Because as God is working, you want to experience it. If you watched any of that state game yesterday, folks, I mean, it was jam-packed. And I, I'm not a state fan. I'm just going to straight up tell you. Uh, but I was rooting for them yesterday. They were not playing Carolina. And I mean, I have, you know, uh, my wife is a, is a state fan and, uh, you know, have a happy life. I mean, you just have to kind of go with things that at times, I mean, she's not a Duke fan. I can't go that way. But, you know. She's a state fan, and I was rooting for state as they were playing Clemson. And, you know, I was, it was exciting. It was, it was crazy. And, you know, one overtime, and I mean, it was like, oh, I mean, and before long, I'm thinking, uh, you know, COVID doesn't even exist. There's like 50,000 screaming fans, and I didn't see a mask in the entire stadium. And it was kind of cool. It was like almost like we had fast-forwarded out of this, out of this whole thing. But uh, they're sitting there, and then they're, they're rushing the, the, the uh, uh, what's it called, the field out there. And I'm like, Good, great. This way, it was crazy. There was an excitement, but there was an anticipation of a uh, uh, victory, and and you could feel it. It was in the air. It was electric, and and Steve, I'm, I, it was just it was an exciting game to watch. But as you're watching this, imagine what it must have been like to be on the front seat, the front row 
of what God was doing in the city of Capernaum. Christ comes in and he begins to minister in the synagogue. And it was an exciting, verse 22 says, when Jesus spoke, he spoke as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And the, the, the word here says, they were all astonished. They're all sitting there going, wow. We've never heard anything like that before. We've never seen someone with the power of God so upon their lives. And there was only one temple that was in Jerusalem. But if there was more than 10 males of 13 years of age or older in a particular village or city, they would build a synagogue there. And it was a, a gathering place for Jews. And they would assemble. They would hear the scriptures read and taught. And it was a place where everybody would gather. But on this day, people were astonished. But the word also says others were offended. <laughs> I can just say, I'm a pastor. I know what that feels like. Because sometimes when you do preach the word and God is speaking through you, People sometimes are astonished. People are, are sometimes amazed. But other people are often sometimes offended and they get their feelings hurt. Why? Because the Scripture and more importantly the Holy Spirit of God begins to step on your toes. Anybody else ever feel that from time to time? I mean, man, Pastor David, you were all over us this morning. I mean, and, and folks, don't get offended. Get excited that God is trying to make us uncomfortable as he's trying to make us into his image. He's trying to convert us and get our heart in tune with what he wants for our lives. So on this day, people were astonished. Others were getting their toes stepped on. But when religious people are offended by biblical truth, it's because they have valued mankind's opinion over God's word. Can I, let me repeat that for you this morning. When religious people are, are offended by biblical truth, it's because they valued mankind's opinions over God's holy word. You see, sometimes we have our own traditions, we have our own things set, in, and we have God in a box. And folks, God does not operate in a box. He is meant to, He wants to transform us. He wants to change us. He's doing a new thing. He wants us to come, uh, come in, in, in contact with his presence and his power in such an amazing way. A religious gathering uh, devoid of Jesus' presence doesn't even provoke a demon. Imagine for a moment the presence and power of God. And folks, we have religious services happening all over our city and all over the world this morning where there is no presence of God. And folks, it does not even provoke the demons of hell. Wherever there's a religious gathering that lacks the presence of God, folks, it's just a social club. And there are churches today that are gathering that there is no there's no uh, semblance of God or his power or authority at work in any way, shape, or form. They're lacking the presence of God. And folks, the sad thing is many of them don't even realize it because they have all the creature comforts in the den, so to speak. Everything is, the, the, the temperature is 
perfect. I mean, I've, I've mentioned some churches even infuse certain uh, smells into the building, and it just gives you that warm and fuzzy. And I mean, you got your coffee, and there's nothing wrong with these things. But I'm just saying, we've got every single thing covered, the, the lights, and we feel good about ourselves, and we go home feeling good about ourselves. But the reality is, you lack the power of God, and you don't have any experience of God transforming your life. You see, your, their toes were getting stepped on. That day in the, in the synagogue, there was a demon-possessed man. And we see that Jesus was fully man, but he was also fully God. He was God in the flesh. So when Jesus speaks, even the demons obey him. They know him. And demons can oppress a believer, but they cannot possess the life, the heart, and the soul of a believer. But folks, this demon-possessed man spoke to Jesus in verse 24. And verse 25, Jesus rebuked him. He calls him out of the man. In fact, verse 27, 26, it says the man was convulsing and, and, and the demon comes out of him. And Jesus has power over demons. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Because folks, before we came to know Christ, the devil had us and his grip and his power, and he has this exactly where. But folks, the moment we give our heart and life to Jesus Christ, the devil has no more power over your soul. And, and folks, I'm thankful that Jesus holds the, the power and he holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave. So he rebukes this demon-possessed man, and, and, and the demon came out of him. Jesus had power over demons. If you remember the story in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus encountered the demoniac of Gadara, and here's a, a demon-possessed man who has, the Word of God says, a legion of, of demons uh, are dwelling within him. And, and Jesus encounters this man. He's absolutely crazy. In fact, the townspeople were terrified of him because he was so crazy. And, and Jesus casts this legion of de demons out of the man. They go into a, a herd of pigs. And what do the pigs do? They run off a cliff into the ocean and die. I'd love to just see that one time, you know. I, I'm sure it's pretty amazing feat, but it, it, was not, it was not a dull moment when Jesus was around, because he had power. He had the authority of God and power over demons. And so here's Jesus in a religious gathering. He begins to minister. Lives begin to change. The power of God was so at work in their midst. And folks, you can only imagine, if we'll get out of the way, he takes control and transforms our lives. Sometimes we're like, man, I, I'd love to invite so-and-so to church, but man, I just, I'm really hoping that the pastor, you know, preaches the right message, that it's not offensive to people, and I really hope that they sing the, the right songs that morning, and that it's just, stop. God is bigger than all of that, because he will transform. He will use a song that you least expect to speak to our hearts and transform us. He'll use the message that's given under the power of the Holy Spirit through God's servant to proclaim the truth of God's word. It'll transform lives. And folks, we don't have to manipulate things and say, I want to have everything just so and, and the, the, the temperature just be perfect and all of the right people to sit in a certain... Nope. God knows exactly where that person is, and he will speak to our hearts, and you folks, he does things in supernatural ways if we'll get out of the way. And in a religious gathering, it's, it's awesome to see uh, as people sometimes will, uh, will put their faith and trust in Jesus, 
Uh, and, and I love seeing it live and in person on a Sunday service. I love seeing when people give, uh, give their, uh, their, their heart and life to Jesus Christ. And Megan, I'm, I'm going to tell on you this morning. Uh, and she, she could kill me later, but she's in my life group. But I love a, a few months ago, I think it was in May, uh, Megan uh, came out of church one Sunday. And during the service, Megan had accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And she goes out to, I think I'd mentioned recently in the service that if you've accepted Christ, go out there to the, to the welcome desk and there's a series of balls in these little buckets out there. And said, grab one of those orange balls and write your name on it and, and put it out there in the display in the wall. And, and Crystal was working at the desk that morning. She said, I was, she was talking to you evidently. She said, I was, she was telling me this to Stephanie. She said, I was talking to someone this morning and she said, she said she was filling out her own name on this orange ball. And and she was like, about halfway through the conversation, I realized God hit me. It was like, she just got saved this morning. She said, I was like, wow, Megan, did you get saved this morning? She's like, yeah, I did. She was like, that is so awesome. And you folks, the reality is, is I love when God is transforming hearts. A couple Sundays ago, I had the privilege of baptizing you in the service. And what an awesome experience to see the power and authority of God changing hearts and changing lives. I had the privilege of marrying her and, and Chris just a few weeks, uh, a few weeks ago and, and to see the, the transformation that God is doing in their lives. And folks, you never know. Don't hold back the power of God. Years ago, I remember in college being in a, in a mission conference uh, setting and it was a religious gathering, a, a service, and uh, somebody was singing a song that was talking about, you know, uh, uh, my house is full but my fields are empty. And they were singing that song about who will go and work for me today. And they were singing those verses of, of, of this song. And people began to flood the altars. And I was sitting there thinking, wait a minute, what's going on here? But God was working. And the sermon never happened that morning because the power of God was working through someone who was singing and I'm sure she had probably sung that song before at other missions conferences. But she was sitting there singing a song. And God, the power of God just began to work. And I'm, like 10 or 12 people accepted Christ in that one service. People were surrendering to go to the mission field during that one song. And I'm sitting here going, wow. I mean, that was unbelievable. And you know what they said about a week later? They said, we went back to watch the video of that service and for some reason, it didn't record. Of course it didn't. I mean, because you couldn't go back and say, hey, this is, when there was this lady was singing this song. And man, nope, God was at work. And he was transforming lives. Some of you will remember many years ago in this very building on a Sunday night, uh, Pastor Tom Wagner from Central Baptist of Dunn was preaching in this very building. And, and his church they canceled their service and they came down and their choir was all up here on the, on the stage up here. And about, I don't know, on Sundays they would have like 300 in their choir. And, but I think at least 100 of them at least showed up that night on a Sunday night and began to sing. And they sang and they sang. And Brother Tom and I were sitting right here on the front row. And this lady was singing a song, never heard it before, never heard it since. But it was something about the veil being torn in two in the temple and I'm telling you, I mean, heaven came down in that service. Anybody remember that? And it was like a move of God. People were flooding the altars. People were coming down from the choir to the altar. And I don't even remember the words to the song. I didn't. Even, God was at work. It was the authority and the power of God in a religious setting. And folks, 
Don't ever hinder or hold back the power of God as he wants to work in a religious gathering or service. When I say next Sunday, come expecting God to do something, is we're prayed up during the week and we gather as a church. Folks, there is no limit to the power of what God wants to accomplish in our midst. I'm afraid too many churches today wouldn't recognize the power or move of God if they saw one. And if they saw one, they'd probably get upset and say, it's too loud in here. <laughs> it's too this or too dark in here. Or I don't like that song. Or You're missing the very move of God. And folks, if we will be quiet and get out of the way, God will do something in our own heart. I mean, 411, newsflash, I mean, he's wanting to change you. He's wanting to radically transform your life. And I love it when God shows up. We can't take uh, the credit for the power of God. Look at verse 27. What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commanded even the unclean spirits, and they obey. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all of the surrounding region of Galilee. Talk about what these four men these interns, the, these new disciples that were just beginning to follow, what they were experiencing, what they were seeing God do in the, in the front row seat, they witnessed Christ at work in their midst. And it would radically transform them and prepare them. Think about it. This is Simon, Simon Peter, the same Peter who would preach on the day of Pentecost, sometime later in Acts chapter 2, where God, it would be the, the birth of the New Testament church, and 3,000 people got saved in one religious gathering. All right? So just think for a second. God was preparing Peter, Simon, Andrew, James, John, to see the power of God on display in their midst. It was something short of, nothing short of, of a miracle of God. He saw the power and authority in Mark chapter 1. But ministry can also happen in relational settings, relational gatherings. And, and we see that in verse 29, starting in verse 29. It's not restricted to religious gatherings. In our earlier verses, we see Christ minister in the synagogue. But now they go over to Peter and Andrew's home, maybe their home place where they grew up, where their parents lived. Simon's mother-in-law is there, and she's in there sick, and they wasted no time in attending to the needs in the home. He found out that Simon's mother-in-law was sick with a fever, and if it was 2021, she probably had COVID, all right? I mean, she already had the little thing stuck up in her brain somewhere and found out she had COVID, and she's passed out flat on the, on the bed, and she's, you know... Uh, praying and, and hoping that she makes it through and Jesus enters into the picture. And I love the, the picture of, of what God is doing here because he radically transformed her. And we says he, in verse 31, he took her by the hand and he raised her up. And verse 31 says the fever left and in the same verse, she began to serve them. I mean, talk about radical change. Not only did she get up off of that bed and start walking, but she starts to serve Jesus and these other disciples that were gathered there in the home. And it was such a powerful picture of what God can do. Uh, knowing and experiencing the power of God in our lives. Folks, we'll want to serve Christ when we've experienced his life-transforming power. Following Jesus 
doesn't mean forgetting your family. Simon Peter wanted Jesus to minister to his family. He says, hey, would you come back for, for dinner at our house? And oh, by the way, my mother-in-law's sick, and I, I really do want her to make it. I mean, uh, she's my mother-in-law, but I, I want her to pull it to me. Some of you are saying, hey, I don't think I'll even tell Jesus she's in the house. I mean, just let that thing slide. But no, he says, I want her to get, I'm totally playing. For those of you that are offended, uh, God will get a hold of you. But at the end of the day, he's saying, I want her to get well. And he cares about her soul and her eternal, eternal destiny. And, and so we see a picture of power of God. When Jesus speaks, even sickness must obey him. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? He is the healer. He is the great physician. So when we are sick and we cry out to God in prayer for healing, folks, understand that when Jesus speaks, even the sickness obeys him. So, back up, uh, rewind to the demons obey him. Sickness obeys him. He has the power over every single thing. And don't forget it next time you're sick, when you call out to the God of heaven for healing, say, God, you did it for Simon Peter's mother-in-law of all people. I mean, I know you can do this for me. I know you can radically transform. People have changed by Jesus can't help but serve him and serve others. But folks, that wasn't the end of the story. Word began to spread. You hear the phrase, word on the street? I mean, word on the street was that Jesus had gone to Simon and Andrew's house, and his mother-in-law, who was sick with a fever, uh, is, is needing a radical move of God, and God transformed her life. So that evening at sundown, they brought all of those who were sick and oppressed by demons. So by that point, word had gotten out all around Capernaum that Jesus was in the house. And he had already healed a demon-possessed man at the synagogue earlier that morning. And now he had come and healed a lady who was sick with a fever at, at Peter's house. And, and they're standing outside the door of the house waiting to meet God. Talk about impacting your city with the gospel. Verse 33 says, the whole city was gathered at the door. <laughs> I mean, imagine, I can imagine having a, a guest speaker in, and, and all of a sudden they said, Pastor David, people are lined up down the road. I mean, for miles trying to get in to experience what God is doing here. You can imagine Simon Peter was like, Woo! This is awesome! I mean, the whole city of Capernaum could get saved tonight because Jesus is in the house. Let me encourage you this morning. Don't settle for ministering solely to physical needs when there's spiritual needs in the house. Think about that. Well, if God can just heal them, all their problems... No, they need a spiritual transformation. So what happens is sometimes we can... Uh, you know, have somebody, a co-worker or somebody that we're ministering to and, and they have someone sick in their family and you pray for that sick person. But folks, don't just let it stop at that. Realize that person needs to know Jesus can transform their very life. And folks, as you're sharing your story of what God is doing in your life, 
It's not a story just of cancer. It's a story of salvation. It's not a story of, of loss or, or tragedy or trial. It's a story of God and how he wants to radically transform their life. And so share about the, 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 the big picture that Jesus wants to transform their heart. That night he healed people who were sick with diseases. The word of God says he cast out many demons. And it says he wouldn't permit the demons to speak. I like what he says in verse 34. Men may be confused as to who Jesus was, but never so with the demons. They always, they knew. They knew him. They feared him. What a contrast to the foolish Jews who refused to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. It was crystal clear. All of the prophecy from the Old Testament was pointing toward Jesus coming as the Messiah and maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're saying, why didn't Jesus just tell him? Why didn't he reveal that he was the Messiah? Why did he refuse to allow the demons to speak? Because Jesus had an even bigger purpose. He came to defeat the power and effects of sin in this old world. And folks, he didn't want to make a spectacle of himself. He longed that they might see the suffering servant who would ultimately lay down his life on the cross of Calvary. So he wasn't trying to make a scene in every place he came, even though here in Capernaum, the entire city showed up to hear him speak. But folks, he came that they might understand he loved them, and his purpose was to die on the cross and rise again. So pastor, what's the application? Ultimately, when Jesus went where he went, he longed and looked for opportunities to minister and share the gospel of the kingdom. He was so ready, no matter what the location. There were times he tried to, we learned just a few weeks ago, as he tried to get on the boat and go across the sea to a different area to, to pray and to rest. And the crowd began to run along the seashore, and, and they meet him over on the other side. And before long, throngs of people are, are gathering. And Jesus is tired. His disciples are weary and yet, he looked for opportunities to minister. That's where he fed 5,000 people. How often do you look for opportunities to minister in every situation that God gives us? Do you use the opportunities that God places in front of you at work as a platform to share the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ? I've heard testimonies of people in our church that, Pastor, I've been in cancer treatments and realize that the person beside me is the person that's a captive audience for these next how many minutes and that's an opportunity to minister to them you're seeing a doctor that doctor is a captive audience that nurse for however long you're in their presence is an audience that you have an opportunity to share jesus christ you're a teacher you have a classroom of students. You said, Pastor, I reach, I, I'm teaching in a public school. Even more, an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. You say, well, I can't get up and just know, but you know what? It's amazing. And all the ones I know will tell you, kids bring it up all the time. They'll bring up, didn't Jesus die on a cross? Yeah, he did. But he didn't stay dead. <laughs> he rose again the third day. Kim, you teach at a public school every, every day. 
And folks, you can have an opportunity, just like him, to be a light for Jesus Christ, to point others to the Savior. Do you minister? How can you minister to others at religious gatherings? Don't take it for granted that the people sitting right next to you in church may not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I've told you before, my own roommate in college, in a Christian college, went forward in a service one day and accepted Christ as his Savior, and I'm like, dude, I've been sleeping on the bunk right above this guy all semester. And not once did I ever ask him if he knew Christ as a Savior and what his story of salvation was. It opened my eyes to, here's a person that's in a Christian college studying to be a pastor or a missionary or teacher or some of that nature in, in Christian ministry. And they may not even know Christ as their Savior. And it, it really opened my eyes to, of my opportunity and field of ministry was much larger than I was thinking. How can you minister in those religious gatherings? Seek to have a conversation and start by sharing your story of how Jesus saved you. How can you minister to others at relational gatherings? We were just talking about fall just started this week, and it's one of my favorite times of the entire year. We had dinner on our screen porch last night, and I'm telling you, this is, I mean, I guarantee in heaven we're going to have uh, fire pits and screen porches and fall weather every day. I mean, I've already talked to God and he told me that, but you know, I was, I was loving every second of it and, and enjoying it. But you know what? That means that Thanksgiving is around the corner. Christmas is around the, the state fair is around the corner uh, and all these fun things that are happening, but families will be gathering and, and getting together. Think about the opportunities you'll have to share Jesus Christ during the holidays with your family. Think about that family member, that friend that will gather and how they need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Seize the moment. This morning, step forward into the power and authority of Jesus to minister in his name. Some of our men and teenager guys play basketball here on Monday nights. And you know what? That's an opportunity through playing sports to point people in our community that need to know Jesus loves them and he died on the cross for their sins. Uh, some of the people could say, hey, you know, there's, that's, that's not a place for the gospel. Sure is. There are people in the apartments that live right across the street, the, the houses right around here. There's going to be hundreds of apartments right outside, literally right outside that door. Uh, townhomes, single family. Uh, November, uh, Costco's open across the street. I mean, we're hitting the map. I mean, uh, the world is showing up on our doorstep, folks. And we can take and seize the opportunity to share Jesus Christ with our community. Think of those in middle school and high school. You go to school this week, you have an opportunity to invite a classmate, a peer, to join you in youth group on Wednesday night. And you've got a, a youth pastor and his wife that love you and student leaders that love you and are praying for you and they're investing in your life. And you have an opportunity to bring them to church. Parents, encourage your kids to invite their friends. Why? Because this is a, a, a ripe harvest. It's an awesome opportunity for them to hear the good news of Jesus. When you have new neighbors that move on on your street, why not invite them to join you in church 
on Sunday and say, well, Pastor David, you know what, religion, politics, really? Where is that in Scripture? Jesus has told us to talk about religion, but not religion in the, the dead sense of the word. He's wanting us to talk about the relationship that Jesus Christ desires to have. Jesus showed us that ministry can happen anywhere. So I want to encourage you today, be praying and looking for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with a world that desperately needs him. This week in preparation for next Sunday, read Mark chapter 30, Mark chapter 1, verse 35 to 39. We'll see the importance of spending quality time with Jesus before you start your day. Being an early riser, what it means to have that relationship, that intimate fellowship with God through his word. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Help us to understand that ministry can happen anywhere. If we'll get out of the way, your Holy Spirit wants to transform our lives and use us in the process of making disciples here in this church and in our city and around the world. God, would you do a mighty work in our midst? Lord, as we step out of our comfort zone this week, as we start having gospel conversations that there's people that you've laid on our hearts that we're praying, our one that we're praying for, to place their faith and trust in you for salvation. God, would you speak to our hearts and give us boldness this week to start those conversations? Begin praying now for the family that will come in town at, at Thanksgiving or Christmas, and then we'll have an opportunity to have a conversation that leads to them understanding the gospel of Jesus. Do a mighty work in our midst, God. We'll give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name. Let's stand up.